of Matthew chapter number 21 and verse number 12. I'm going to bring back a, an occasion, an excursion uh, that we had while we were away in Arizona. And I'm going to use that today to illustrate and inspire from the Word of God. Matthew 21 and verse number 12. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Everyone say, he healed them. Amen. When Jesus is in the house, a healing can take place. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. Now, why would anybody, when wonderful things are happening and healings are taking place and worship is taking place, would anybody be sore displeased? But they were sore displeased. Mm. And he said unto them, Hearest thou what these say? Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings? Thou hast perfected praise. And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. So for a few moments here this morning, I want to preach robber's roost. Robber's roost. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We ask that you direct us today. <clears throat> we give to you many, many thanks. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated here today. Before we can really digest some of this passage of Scripture, we need to understand and recognize that the principal place that Jesus goes into is the temple of God. It starts in verse number 12 by saying Jesus went into the temple of God. So the temple had a place of prominence. And it is ingrained into the notion and idea of the Israelites. You can go all the way back out of the Exodus. We find the beginnings of a theme, a history of the principal place of worship. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself here today, but this sanctuary uh, means something. It has a, a place of importance. It's where we gather Together, It is a gathering place. And yet we also have an understanding that God's presence and God's anointing can be anywhere. I'm thankful that this is the church and we're here in the church, but God's presence and anointing can be anywhere. The scripture is very, very clear. And Jesus said it where two or three are gathered together in my name. I'll be there. Amen. So we, we don't want to forsake the assembling of ourselves as a church body. So we come collectively together. But you can have a move of God in your house. As a matter of fact, in the early New Testament church, they didn't have buildings like this. They had a household of Chloe, a household of, a household of, and typically about the, the average size was about 30 to 35 people that came together in the Roman Empire without a building. There were synagogues, but many of the synagogues were Jewish-run and Jewish-led. So that early church and those Gentiles that came together, they came together in houses. You can have an 
experience of God in your house. You can have an experience of God in your car. You can have an experience of God walking by the wayside. Hallelujah. When you start to praise God and worship God, God can move in anywhere. It doesn't matter where you may be. Sister Valerie, it's good to see you this morning. Just saw you. We welcome you to the house of God this morning. Amen. God can be anywhere. When you say the name of Jesus, you could be in a hospital room, laid up, worried about the outcomes, and something takes place when you speak the name that's above every name. His presence is there. His anointing is there. Amen. We need to pray right now for Sister Dixie, who is in the hospital and is struggling. They moved her into ICU. Let's pray right now that God's anointing and strength would touch her body. Lord, we thank you and praise you. Touch Sister Dixie in Jesus' name right now. Hallelujah. We know that there is power in your name. We know that there is healing in your name and there is strength in your name. We ask these things in Jesus' name. While we're praying there, let's pray for Sister Martha Shockley, who was in the hospital, may be transferred out. Let's ask that God would bring strength and comfort to her as well. Lord, we thank you. Hallelujah. We know that you are well able to do above and beyond what we could think or ask. And nothing is too great, nothing is too small. So we join together as a church body and family here and elsewhere. And we ask that your ability and the touch of God and the hand of God would be felt right now. Right now. Come on. Right now. What we feel in this place right now. Let it be felt somewhere beyond these four walls. You're not restricted to four walls. You're a God that is powerful to move into every environment and context and situation. We give to you thanks and we praise you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. But in the Israelites' history, there was a primary place of a gathering place. There are, there are events, there are monuments, there are things that take place in our life that whether we desire them or not, they, became, they become markers. They make us who we are. When we gathered together, we had a funeral for Jack Condren on Saturday and talking about his life and and his family and the connections of the Condrens are widespread. When you go to a situation like that and you hear about somebody's life, uh, you hear about things and accomplishments that are inspirational that should cause you to reflect upon your own life and what you are doing in your life. Our lives are made up. It, our lives are a tapestry of the connections that we make and the happenings that take place in our life. I, I want you all to know this, okay? Now, I am a firm, not just because I'm pastor, okay? I've been here since 1992, moved here from the plains of North Dakota, moved to North Dakota from Oregon, born and raised in Santa Barbara, California, lived there for a little bit. My father still lives in Ventura. So I've been here in Bakersfield longer than I've been anywhere else. The impacts and the connections that you people have made on me since 1992 have made me who I am. Your investment in me has because my connection and the investment that you have made, praise God, the church is, is I know the church is not always perfect, but the church does its best. And if you don't have the church, what do you have? If you're looking for a perfect place, you're going to be disappointed. You are never going to find it. Well, I'm going somewhere else where I can find perfection. Good luck. 
luck, sayonara, and bye-bye. You're never going to find it. But thank God there are some people in the house of God that invested in me, and my connections are to those people. I want to say this. You need to get happy, sis. You need to get happy, sir. You're wandering around with your head down in the moly grubs. It's time for you to Sunday morning rise and say, you know what? All things are behind me. I'm not living this way anymore. It's miserable. It's discouraging. It's depressing. I'm going to live in the Holy Ghost. promised to us peace that passes understanding and he promised to us joy unspeakable and full of glory you got to be careful who's connected to you and who is speaking into your ear because sometimes they will bring you down and all of a sudden you'll look around and you'll wonder how did I get here I want to stay in the house of God I want to stay among imperfect people that are striving to do their best that want revival that appreciate the anointing of God and the presence of God that are connected to people that'll make them better Lives are a tapestry of that. And so I'm standing here today. I, I could, there's a lot I could criticize about some of you. Now, come on, let's be honest. But I'm not gonna focus on I'm not gonna focus on the the negative small stuff. Leadership is saying, I'm not gonna focus on the negative side of the equation. I'm gonna focus on what can be done. I'm going to be an influence for change. And if you're always nibbling with negative energy, pulling down things, stopping the wheels of the gospel, that's not productive. So what you have to do is take the disappointments and say, God, I'm going to cast every care upon you because you care for me and I'm going to lead because of the Holy Ghost that is inside of me. We need a revival church made up of, of every tongue, nation, language. I don't care what your political beliefs are. You're an apostolic child of God. You can have your opinion. I don't care what your color is. You belong here. Praise God. I don't care what your language is. Some of you are here in the house of God. Language is, English is not your first language, but you are still here. Why? Because you want to be connected to a feeling and a power of people who have gathered together and understand that God's still in the business of doing miracles. I'll never forget driving over the Rocky Mountains. I'm talking about things in our lives that are, that are tapestry and threads that you never forget. You just never forget them. Nobody will ever, ever forget if you were here, revival with Cody Marks and all the things that happened during that revival. I mean, there were so many crazy things that happened, but I'm looking at Ron Yurko that got the Holy Ghost right there during that revival. Huh. Nobody will forget the cops come running in here right in the middle of the altar call, breaking up the whole service. Nobody will forget that. Those are things that are going to be connected into our church psyche. 
I'll never forget coming over the Rocky Mountains in a little car, a Mazda. We were going to visit some family in Douglas, Wyoming. We were crossing the Rocky Mountains. It was snowing, and uh, I was scared to death. And we were driving over that range, and we came up over a hill and, and started spinning. And we were bouncing off the sides. It was snow banks up on the sides of the roads. We were spinning like that. We were bouncing from, it seemed like, the, it, seemed like it went on forever before we stopped. And you know what we were, you know what we were saying? You know what everybody was saying in that car? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I was joining in. Yes, sir. Yes, I was. Scared me to death. I'll never forget that experience. My wife cannot go sideways in a vehicle because of an experience when her sister was driving, going down the side, going down the road sideways, 60 miles an hour, and looking at the the lines going by. Uh, there are things in our life that are connected to us that are, are part of the tapestry of who we are. Now, we got a decision we're going to have to make. Are we going to let the tapestry and the fragments of who we are, uh, is that going to be a debilitating experience or is that going to be an enlightening experience? The people that allow it to be a debilitating experience never become successful and pursue anything that is God-given because they get so wrapped up in the negative side of the equation instead of what God could do. It's either an obstacle or it's an opportunity. You want to live in the obstacle? Go ahead and live in the obstacle, but know this. You're going to be miserable. Or live in the opportunity that says God's going to do something with this because all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Even the, listen, even the things that you think this, this, I wish I could extract this out of my life. You would not be the same person if that hadn't have occurred in your life. That's, that's what that verse means. What that verse means is everybody, and before you forget, and I'm so far off on my message, but that's okay. Before you forget and start having self-pity about yourself and all the things that you're going through and how terrible it is, don't forget there's somebody that's got greater problems than you've got and they're still worshiping God living for God and striving to do the best that they can so it's either going to be an obstacle or it's going to be an opportunity so the things that happen in my life that I wish I could expunge I just have to accept the fact that those things have caused me to be who I am today and I didn't understand it I didn't think anything could come from it but all things work together for good to them that love the Lord which means that the Holy Ghost is going to take the bad things and he's going to create miracles to produce good things that when people turn around and look at it they say how in the world did you ever get through what you were going through how in the world did you ever survive what you were faced with the only way was by the power of God's anointing and God's ability Praise God. So all, all, all of that is to say that every single one of us, if we have a testimony service, you could go back and you could say, here was a profound experience in my life uh, <laughs> that I will not soon forget. Every, every single one of us, whether they're good things, bad things, they're part of the tapestry of who we are. Whether it's on a world level, things like 9-11, things like nobody will ever, ever forget 2020. Nobody, nobody. I mean, uh, real quick, what happened in 2007? I don't know, 2007, I have no idea. I was a little younger then, but I can tell you what really happened. But, but when you say 2020, nobody's going to say, well, I can't really remember 
what transpired in 2020. <laughs> nobody, 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 nobody's going to say that because 2020 has been quite an experience on a world level, on a national level. So there, there are things that take place on a world level, a national level, on a personal level that paint and color who we are. All I'm telling you here tonight, listen to me, please listen to me. Whatever it is, understand and know this, the presence of God and the anointing of God is going to help you through that. Amen. And we should not be as the people of God look like we are downcast. Paul said, we're, we're troubled, we're persecuted. He said all those things. But he said, we're, we're not done. We're not finished. God's with us. God's working through us. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to put a smile on your face. You don't know what I'm going through, Pastor. I'm going through hell. That's okay. Put a smile on your face and keep walking through hell. Why? Because God's going to help you get where you want to go. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> hey, nobody wants to hear that. It's okay to get over that, to get through grief, to get through troubles, to get through difficulties. There's a time and a season, the wise man said, but at some point, you got to get out of that muck and mire. You can't live in that all the time. There's another season that is opening up to you. God's got better things for you. It's time to say, God, produce a new season in my life. Praise God. What about, what about, I, I mentioned Brother Ron Yurko. Brother Ron, you will never forget the Holy Ghost touching you right here in this aisle. <laughs> what about the Holy Ghost? Huh? How about being baptized in Jesus' name? Did that color your experience and your life experience? Oh, yes. I remember being baptized in Roseburg, Oregon in a pool in December. Amen. I don't know if that was Jesus and the presence of Jesus on me or if it was just really, really cold. But I will never, ever forget that. Being baptized in a name that's above every name. Amen. There are, there are occurrences that take place that, that flavor and color who you are, and they should. I mean, right at the top of the list, you should have a testimony. Man, when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I sought it, and God filled me with it. I've never experienced anything like that. And so there are things that, that color our experience. And the temple was significant. Moses, when he started out of Egypt, and he brought them out of Egypt, the people came. There had to be some kind of structure and order. Their entire existence was centered around what they called a tabernacle. It was the tabernacle of the congregation. It wasn't the tabernacle that God gave to Moses, but it was like a tent of meeting. It was a place that stood on the outside of the camp. And Moses would go in and talk with the Lord, and there would be a pillar, uh, a cloudy pillar that would descend, and the people would watch from their tent door. It was a temporary place. Then that became replaced with what was known as the tabernacle. And God gave the instructions to Moses about all the things, how to construct it, the manners. It was supposed to be divided into two rooms. 
And there would be a holy of holies. And then there was another room. And then all the furniture that was to go in it. The Ark of the Covenant. The altar of incense. The seven-branched golden lampstand or candlestick. The table for showbread. On the outside in the courtyard was the altar of burnt offering or the great bronze altar. And then there was a laver. All of that is significant to our New Testament experience because you can find the New Testament in every single one of those items that were in that tabernacle. Their life was centered around that. The camps were ordered around that, centered around that. The cloud that was above it, the pillar of fire and the cloud that was above it. When it, when it started to move, they, they, had, they had organization and structure, had to tear down the tabernacle and move with what God was doing. There was responsibility and care for moving the tabernacle. And it was delegated to various families of the tribe of Levi. So imagine coming out of Egypt. These are things that are really, really connected and ingrained. When there is a move of God and a presence of God in such a way that is so significant and so visual, a pillar of fire and a cloud that moves and, and families pack up and move. Wherever God is going, that's where we're going. And so this was ingrained from the very beginning of their history during the conquest of the land of Canaan by the Israelites. They put the tabernacle in a temporary place in Shiloh. We had the opportunity last year to go to Shiloh and actually look at some of the archaeological ruins. And they are convinced because there is a, there's an area of rocks and there's pottery that is everywhere around this particular area. They believe that they have found the location of where that temporary place, the tabernacle, was placed once they came into Canaan land. But years passed, and, and because of the children of Israel going to their particular areas of designation, and then because of the ministry growing cold and indifferent to God's work, uh, some of that feeling and fervor was lost, especially when the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines and taken out of this tabernacle in its temporary place in Canaan. Uh, the, the inspiration and the fervor waned because now the thing that was supposed to represent the very mercy seat and presence of God is no longer available to us anymore. Eli, we know the story about Eli. Eli was the man of God, but he was somewhat distant. His sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were very, very evil in God's sight. And so it kind of, the luster had been worn off until David comes along. And David realizes there needs to be a, a central place, something that is permanent. And so Solomon's temple is built. David could not build it because he was a man of war, but he gathered all the materials. Solomon's temple was built <clears throat> when the land was fully conquered and the tribes were properly settled. It was important that the worship of God be centralized. And so Solomon built the temple. In biblical times, three temples were built on the same site. Solomon's temple, Zerubbabel's temple, and Herod's temple. So from, from the beginning of, of the Hebrews' history coming out of Egypt, central to their lives was the, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and now the temple. The temple in three iterations. In Jeremiah's day, the temple had become uh, identified with... The children of Israel forgetting God's covenant, and there were no, there was no connection with God. So you had a temple 
that is very profound. Again, the fabric that connects us, that makes us who we are. And the temple was very important in that, that identity. But in Jeremiah's day, as a prophet, remember, prophets didn't give their own opinions. Prophets only were covenant enforcement mediators. That's all they were. They were to simply say, this is the covenant of God. If people were following the covenant of God, then it was a positive thing. If people were not following the covenant of God, the prophets were there to remind people, hey, we, we need to get back to what really matters because we've, we've lost sight of what we're supposed to be. And so the prophets, would, and their job was very difficult. They were not popular because many times they were going against they were going upstream. If everybody else is, is, is doing their own thing, then the prophet is the only person that is in between God and them. And so, the, so one, one of the prophets said, cursed be the day that I was born, because who, who wants this job? And Jeremiah, when he's prophesying, he recognizes that this, this fabric, this temple that takes up prominent place and purpose has no connection with the God of the temple. And people are operating in such a way that they have disconnected the temple of God from the God of the temple, but they still want the blessings of the temple. And they've disconnected God from it. And so the prophet would say, wait a minute, you're not going to receive the blessings of God in the temple if you disconnect the God of the temple. How in the world is that going to work? Because they've become accustomed and satisfied with the physical ramifications of the temple. They thought that was going to be their safety no matter what they would do. And this became a great problem, and Jeremiah recognized it, and he said to them, you're trusting in lying words that cannot profit. You are not going to profit if you come into the sanctuary and you want the blessings of the sanctuary, but you don't want the God of the sanctuary. I'll tell you this right now. I'd rather have the God of the sanctuary even if there wasn't a sanctuary. I'd rather have the presence of God even if there's not a building. I I can't do without God's anointing. I can't do without God's presence. I've got to feel a moving of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. It's not the building. It's the God of the building. God's blessed us, given to us, granted to us favor. But if we forever get, if we ever forget that it's the anointing of God, the presence of God, the Holy Ghost that must move, the altar area that must have a move of God, we've missed something We've missed something great. And I'm convinced that there's a lot of places that they've got a building, they've got this, they've got all these facilities, but there's nothing happening in the house of God. We should, I mean, we should be warriors when it comes to that. You hear me? We should be warriors when it comes to that. You don't have to be someone that, that is 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Yesterday, a Saturday at the funeral, Bishop was mentioning about, you know, you think you're young, you're not going to be 30 and 40 forever. <laughs> when you talk to a 14-year-old, they think 30 is ancient. Right? It's all relative. When you're 80, 50 is young. Praise God. That's why I like to rub up against 78, 80-year-olds. You're just a young whippersnapper. you got all kinds of... Praise God. Hallelujah. 
But you get around the young people over there having youth revival, playing all these games and flying Dutchman, and up until 3 in the morning, you're like, oh, my goodness. Let me have a seat. I can't do this. Where was I going with all that? Oh, we should be warriors. Warriors that are intent on a move of God no matter where we are. We can't rely on the fact that, man, this is a great building. It's beautiful. That doesn't mean that there's going to be a move of God. Somebody said amen. I appreciate all the hard work and effort that everybody has put into this building. Brother Brian Gregg has put countless of hours into this building and on this property and others. But they'll be the first ones to tell you it's not the building that brings the anointing of God and the power of God. You can create... You can, you can go in buildings that put this to shame. I walked into St. Peter's, and they want you to feel such awe that you can't even believe it. As a matter of fact, it was purposeful. They recognized people were walking away from the Catholic Church. They were doing their own thing, and so they wanted to bring some kind of awe back into the Catholic Church. And so they started building edifices that were so incredible that when you walked in, there was a sense of awe. I stepped into St. Peter's, and it's, it's unbelievable. You stand there, and you are in awe. But it didn't take me very long to understand this is great architecture, and this is beautiful, and I'm in awe. But where is the move of the Holy Ghost? Where's the power of God? Where's the anointing of God that breaks every chain? Where's the ability for an individual to walk away free from their sin and their burdens? I was amazed. I, we went to, we, we had an opportunity to go into one particular church and the tour guide wanted to make sure that there were people that understood and recognized. Now you don't have to be a religious person to enjoy the architecture of the building. What a sad state of affairs. When people walk in here, I don't mind them saying, man, that's a gorgeous building you've got there. But I would rather them say, you know what, I've been to other places, but I don't. there's something that I'm feeling that is powerful. We, we've got to be warriors to fight for that. I want to fight for a move of God. Hallelujah. We could be in a tent out there in 105-degree weather with a bunch of smoke blowing around, and God can still move, and Sandy can get the Holy Ghost no matter where you are. Jeremiah said, you're trusting in lying words. It cannot profit. And, and then he said some amazing things. He said, you're going to steal? You're going to murder? You're going to commit adultery? You're going to swear falsely? You're going to burn incense unto Baal and walk after other gods who you don't even know? And then come stand in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all of these abominations. Jeremiah, speaking for God, said, is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? God said, behold, even I have seen it. You disconnected the temple from the God of the temple. And they were following this lie. They actually had a mantra that they would speak over and over. So like when Jeremiah would prophesy those words, they had a comeback. <laughs> and the comeback was the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. I mean, <laughs> the indifference and the arrogance to act in such a way. God said, look, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. God, God look, God never comes on you with the hand. Some people say, I don't understand that God 
that is a God of judgment. God never approaches you with judgment without first extending mercy, 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 mercy. Don't you ever say, well, God just hit me upside the head with his judgment and I can't bear it. No, God put warning sign after warning sign. He reached for you. He wanted you to amend your ways. He did everything within his power and his ability and it's what you wanted. And then when judgment comes, you don't understand. said amend your ways your doings I'll cause you to dwell in this place but they had this notion of the temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord so when we were on our trip we went to a place called robber's roost and that's the name of it there's actually a robber's roost in Utah that was actually a community but but the same notion applies robber's roost is a place where robbers gather and they put their treasure and they hang out and they plan and they conjecture about what they're going to do. Usually, it is not in a place that is easy to get to. It's difficult to get to. Uh, it's out of the way. It's in, a, it's in a situation where it's dangerous. They, they put it in a place so that they can see you coming. And usually, that's what a hideout is supposed to be for protection and lot of other things. So robbers roost. When we got to this place in Arizona, they said, well, you need to go to robbers roost. Well, robbers roost is a complete day away. And to get there, you had to get on these ATVs and ride on these ATVs with these, they, they can be really called roads. They're rocks and you're bouncing around. It takes a long time to get there. And then when you get there, you have to hike to robbers roost to get there. So Everybody talked about Robber's Roost, so we decided to do that. So I'm going to show you some pictures of Robber's Roost. Here is Robber's Roost when I walked around the corner. Very narrow paths, steep cliffs. Uh, and there it is up there. You can see a big hole in the ground, and there's a little window out of it. So that was when we came around the corner. It's elevated. You could see for miles. It's beautiful country. This is robber's roost. Takes a day to get to. It's not easy to get to. You got to hike to it. And then this next one shows from the inside. There's just some very beautiful, there's like a window. How, how in the world over the course of time do you get a circular thing like that that you could actually look through? And you can see, you could see for miles. You could see dust rising. I think you might even be able to see a little dust rising for somebody moving somewhere out there. And then if you step back a little more, you can look out the main <laughs> opening of the cave. It is staggering, staggering. God's creation is incredible. And this is Robert's roost there. And then here's another picture uh, to show you. Uh, hands up. The sheriff has arrived. <laughs> and uh, we take all your money. Oh, wait a minute. You don't have any money. You're taking my money. What's going on? That's Peyton and Paisley there. And so you can see this. this it's just... It's, it's amazing, amazing. Robber's Roost takes a long time to, I think that's it, takes a long time to get there. It's not in a place that is easy to get to. And, and this is the whole point to what Jesus is saying as he's standing in the temple and what Jeremiah was saying. You're like a band of robbers that go out and commit atrocities and then you run back to your hideout or roost you run back to the roost, robber's roost. However, the irony is you're not going to some far out hideout that takes forever to get there. 
where you're hiding outside of society. No, you're running right into the temple that is the central structure and identity of God's presence and God's ability. You're not running way out there. You're running right into the primary place. This is one of the biggest slaps in the face to God was to hide out like a bunch of robbers in the temple. And Jesus, by his time, when he comes along, he makes a very strong statement in this passage of scripture that we start with when he says, you have made my house a den of thieves. He's not only talking about the economic selling and buying thing, but he is saying, you, you've established and set yourself up here in the temple. And you're so interested to throw off Roman rule and politics and political machinations and maneuverings and what you're going to do. And then you bring economics into this. And, and so that when people actually come into the temple to do what they're supposed to do, which is to worship and to praise me and to receive the benefits of my goodness, they can't even get there because of what you are doing. Whoa, are we if somebody comes into the house of God and they can't get to a moving of God's presence because of what we're doing in here that's what I'm talking about when I say we've got to become warriors praise God we've got to become warriors that say we want the anointing of God and the moving of God and the presence of God and whoa are we if we become obstacles to that move of God I don't want to be an obstacle but I want to be involved in what God is doing I want to see the Holy Ghost fall. I want to see the presence of God move. The cloud was moving again, but it wasn't in the Old Testament this time. It was in the New Testament in this temple that Herod built. It wasn't completed until A.D. 64. The main building was finished by 9 B.C., so by the time of Jesus, they were still working on it. It was a magnificent edifice. You couldn't even look on it because they put rock that was kind of white and when the sun would hit it it would it illuminates so much it's hard to even even look at Jesus steps into the cloud Jesus steps into that temple Israel's God was present and active in a man just like the cloud that descended it's not a cloud anymore but it is Jesus Christ that is walking <laughs> among you and he comes and he, he sees this he's not coming to overthrow the temple Jesus wasn't coming to overthrow the temple. He wasn't coming to overthrow the Sabbath. He wasn't coming to overthrow the scripture. He wasn't coming to overthrow the land or the family, but he was reorienting things so that people could understand it's not in the physical things that we are attached to. It's in the power of God that is in the midst of us. And in Mark chapter 2 and verse number 18, uh, the disciples of John and the Pharisees said, we used to fast. Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but the disciples that are with you, they don't fast? And Jesus said, can the children of the bride chamber fast when the bridegroom is with them? Jesus was saying, I'm in your midst. There's no need to fast because I am here. And when my presence is here, then the bride is ready and the bridegroom is here. The celebration is on. There, there, there shouldn't be sad faces in this uh, scenario because the bridegroom is here. Jesus is here and he's rebuilding the temple and it's happening in himself. It's not a physical temple. 
this temple that had become a central meeting place for the plotting and overthrow of Rome. Jeremiah said, Babylon is coming. Judgment came. Jesus is saying, if you're not careful, this temple's going to be torn down and destroyed. And in AD 70, it was torn down and destroyed. So in both cases, there was judgment that took place when people forgot that there is a connection between God and the physical temple. Amen. I'm building a church, says Jesus. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. He's saying things like, this and he's talking about a church that's not contained in in four walls not even contained in the temple but he's talking about reaching out into the uttermost parts of the earth he's talking about a move of God that takes place everywhere and so they look at him and they ask them this question who are you what sign showest thou us seeing that thou doest these things and Jesus answered and said unto them John chapter 2 and verse 18, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said to him, 40 and six years was this temple in building and will thou rear it up in three days? But Jesus wasn't speaking about that temple. He was talking about the temple of his body. Amen. Jesus was saying to them, you're like a bunch of robbers and robbers roost. And you're hiding out in the roost because you want to cast off Rome. You're blind to the fact that God is standing in your midst. And because of it, you're robbing people from true worshiper. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit. And in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Ladies and gentlemen, here today, I want to proclaim to you that there is nothing more important than a move of God and a revival that takes place the presence of God the anointing of God that takes place in our midst so that when people come into the sanctuary into this place of worship there's nothing that obstructs them we got to be very careful that we don't bring our attitudes in here our mentality in here that causes an obstruction I don't care what I feel I don't care what the odds are against me or with somebody else when I step into the sanctuary it's not a about me it's not about me but it's about a great God hallelujah I may be struggling but you're great and greatly to be prayed I may be in a battle but it's not about the battle God you are great and greatly to be praised and when you start lifting him up he starts ministering in the house of God so that people when they come into the sanctuary can receive what they need a blessing from God the comfort of God the peace of God the strength of God, the anointing of God. Hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Let us never, ever forget. Let us be warriors in this endeavor. Well, it doesn't feel like people are awake this morning. I'm going to be awake for the kingdom of God. Well, it doesn't feel like people want to celebrate. I'm going to reach back somewhere that God did something for me that I'll never forget. I'm going to celebrate his goodness. Hallelujah. We've all got a responsibility to make sure the fire is still burning. Stir up the gift that is in you. If you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got a fire on the inside of you. Amen, amen. As Brother McAllister and the musicians come this morning. Jesus gave his life for the church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Bible talks about Christ being the head of the church and the savior 
of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, we can never disconnect Christ from anything that we do. If we do programs and it's disconnected from God, we, we just got a program. If we, we disconnect Sunday school from God, all we've got is, is a, a Sunday school curriculum, but not a power. If we disconnect our music from God, we've got great music, but we don't have a move of God's presence. Amen. Praise God. Robbers roost. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn church of the firstborn the general assembly the church has become the vision of Jesus to the world amen in all corners of the world all corners this is what's amazing God has granted me the ability and ministry to be able to go to Peru the Holy Ghost moves in Peru I mean brother Greg can you remember in Iquitos going to that little church you had to walk down this ramp to get into the building that, that looked to me like a bunch of sticks. Actually, it was a bunch of sticks. It was on the river. So they had to build it up because during river season, the water would come so high, it would, it would come right through the church. You had to walk down some sticks across, I thought it was an irrigation ditch. But then as I was walking down, I realized that's not an irrigation ditch. That's the sewer that's running right there. Walking down those steps into this little old building. They don't have any music. One gal's got this tambourine. Half of the half of it's gone. There's there's holes in the walls and you can see eyes looking through. There's a cat that keeps going back and forth on one of the cross beams. It only holds maybe what, 20, 20, 20, 30 people? That wasn't a temple. It wasn't anything close to this, but I'll tell you what. It was the same anointing and the same power and the same ability that I felt in so many places in my life. Huh. I've been in Ethiopia in a mud-thatched building that they are so proud of, packed people in there, people on the outside. We were in church for seven hours. Seven hours. We've been in church here today for an hour and 10 minutes, and some of y'all, it's time for lunch. <laughs> seven hours. I heard so many Ethiopian choirs, and they all sounded the same. Sound like they... Had preachers preaching and brother Solomon got up and he started praying the concluding prayer and I thought okay it's time we can I'm wore out I'm hungry and on the hills coming in you could hear another choir coming brother Solomon looked at us and he said I'm sorry brethren we're gonna have to let them sing because there's no telling how long it's taken them to get here. I got a picture with an 80-year-old man. He walked seven hours to church. He was in service for seven hours. And he was going home seven hours. You talk about a humbling experience. Okay, I'm never going to complain again. <laughs> and he was so happy. 
he was he was happy he was excited took bus walked in the dust to be in church for that long same anointing same power same ability you know what it helped me understand i like nice things i like I really do. I, when I pull up to this parking lot, I'm looking, I'm, looking for, I'm looking for the little things that aren't taken care of. As a matter of fact, I found one while pulling in today. In between the sign out there and the rock, there's some, there's some scrubby stuff growing up. And so, Brother David, could you get to that? <laughs> okay. Brother David, he is such a blessing to the church. He's always trying to be out in front of it, but I, I get him just about every time. So now, Brother Dave, that over there needs to be that needs to be cleaned up. You know why? Because I take pride in this place. To me, this this is not just this represents many many years of hard work and sacrifice. I don't want to be stupid and indifferent to the work that people have poured blood, sweat, tears, and prayer into, and spent a lot of time trying to make this place what it is. But despite all of that. Despite all of that, I want you to know emphatically from the heart of this pastor, I recognize and understand it's not in a program, it's not in a building, it's not in a school, it's not in a daycare, it's not in all the ministries that we do. Those are all significant, but God has to be in the midst of every single one of those things because if God's not in the midst of what are we doing? Mm, we need God's anointing and His God's, God's ability. They were... They were running out to Robert's roost. And they were so satisfied in what they thought was the things that anchored them. And I'll be honest with you, I, just coming into this building and, and praying, and thank you to everybody that, that comes and prays. Just, 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 to, just to open the doors and walk in, the music's playing, the lights, pillars are lit up. In, in this whole 2020 pandemic year, there's just been something that has been supportive just to come in and you feel the presence of God. Praise God. But I know it's, it's not in the building. It's, it's in the God of the building. And not only that, Jesus, he just shattered so many things about the temple. Not just the temple, and it's not just the church. But then he went to say, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, Know you not that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. God says, it's not in this physical temple. It's in this body that loves me. I'm going to set up residence in this place. And if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? There should be something on the inside of us that says, God, I want to be holy. I want to be righteous. If this is the temple of God and I'm the temple of God, I want others to come in contact with me so that they can worship in the temple of your presence and there's no obstructions. There's nothing that stops me. I'm not going to be in resistance to you. I want your anointing and your presence to flow with me as we stand together in the house of God today and we lift up our hands. Amen. And as we begin to pray, let's pray today, first of all, that the Holy Ghost and the presence of God is in this house. Amen. In this place, in our Sunday school, in our youth ministry in our couples and families, in our men and in our ladies, in our music, in our worship, in our singing, everything that we in our school, Lord, help us in Jesus' name. In our daycare, everything that we
do. Let your presence, God, permeate somehow in the midst of all of that. And then let's pray individually for ourselves. God, you have called us to be a temple of God. All that time and effort spent in building an edifice, three temples on the same place, a history of tabernacles and tents of meeting and temples, and yet you stepped in and said, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to put my spirit the life of somebody and they're going to be the temple of God praise God as they sing together we need to pray for God's righteousness and holiness